Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to Why Are You Like This, a podcast devoted to finding out who we are and why we do the things we do. I'm your host, Ryan Andrews, and today's guest is a queen who needs no introduction. She kicks, she flips, she dips, she splits, and she can cook too on top of the rest. Please welcome to the mic, Kiki Ball Change. Hi. Hello. Wow, what an intro. I've never seen you do a flip, but you know, we all have. I know, when you said she flips, I was like, I don't know about all that, but uh, we'll see. You know what, we have plenty of time. Yeah, we have time to learn new things. Yeah, yeah. I, I definitely flip for uh for certain people. I don't know. There we go. There we go. How are you do- <laughs> how are you doing today? I sent you on such an internet journey to get here. I um I feel so bad. I entrapped no, you. No, don't feel bad. It don't feel bad. I, I know this this program that we're using is very specific about its um about its browsers that you use. And my brother is like such a tech freak and he told me like months and months ago when I was doing my own podcast. He was like, don't, don't use Chrome because it keeps like hidden files on your computer that take up like so much space. And I was having issues with my computer running slow because I was running out of space. So I just stopped using Chrome since then. Anyway, long story short, we got it figured out and I'm here and I'm happy to be here. Here we are. I'm now I'm just like worried about what happens when I go into incognito mode. I'm like, are you still keeping? Oh, I know. I don't know. I mean, I can probably find that article he sent me and sent it to you so you can see i still look at porn in incognito mode this is my own laptop i am a grown human (laughs) oh honey i i fully gave that up years ago years and years ago like if anyone wants to see my browser history i'm an open book go ahead you'll learn things about me without me having to tell you Mm -hmm. yeah i kept that habit i don't know why i don't know either i'll look into that (laughs) Sounds like you got to ask yourself some questions. I have some learning to do about me, but today <laughs> is about you. So, Miss Kiki Ball Change, where'd you grow up? I grew up in Pensacola, Florida. Ooh. It's in the Panhandle. That sounds right fun. By Alabama. If you're familiar with the Congressman Matt Gates, he represents the district I grew up in. Wow. So, if that tells you anything about my environment growing up, <laughs> although I will say, Everything has gotten a lot worse in the last eight years or so, but um, uh, uh, it wasn't always as as crazy as I feel like it is politically right now. But um, yeah, that's where I grew up. It was great. Were you an artsy kid from the jump? Did you play sports? Was there a butch moment? What was going on? I was always a little faggot. Mm. Um, I started theater when I was seven. Um which wasn't really even, I don't know. All I remember is my mom, there were like auditions for South Pacific. <laughs> nice. <laughs> and, you know, again, we were in the panhandle of Florida. There were not that many people of South Pacific descent in Pensacola, Florida. So my mom told me that her friend who was, I don't know if she was auditioning or she was just like kind of in the theater community was like, they're having auditions for South Pacific. We really need two kids to play the, the kids um, in the show. I don't remember their names, but so she, uh, she asked if I'd be interested and my mom was kind of like, Oh, do you want to audition for this play? Um, 
And I said, yes, because I, you know, loved like musicals and, and um, my family is very theatrical. My aunt was a dance teacher, is a dance teacher. And um, theater and music had just kind of long been a part of my family's history. So I kind of knew that at the time and I was like six or seven and I auditioned for the show. Um, I did not get it. I think rightfully so. Fair, <laughs> but fair, that fair. was my first audition. I sang on a stage for my audition mm-hmm. um, and I got the bug. And then shortly after I auditioned for Oliver um, and I was cast in Fagan's Gang. Ooh, tough. And yeah, uh-huh. that was my butch moment. Yeah. And ever since then, I've been performing. I love that. I love so that. So I've always been very, very, very uh, theatrical. Um, I used to play as Peach, you know, on Mario Kart mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. all the female characters. My brothers would um, like role play and be like Star Wars characters. I'd always have to be like the Jedi princess. Like it was always, always part of the narrative, whether I knew it or not. Oh, that's kind of sweet when you look back, though. Yeah, it's fair. That's the thing is like, ev- I always like to say everyone knew I was gay before I knew I was gay. Mm-hmm. I was I was very strongly, devoutly straight until I uh, I realized maybe having feelings uh, and attractions for boys did not make me straight. Um, maybe, so maybe. Ever since, yeah, maybe, maybe, just maybe. Yeah. Um, yeah, so it was very apparent. I do like that little you was aware that you're from like a theatrical lineage. You're like, we are the Barrymores of Pensacola. Um, we are. <laughs> I mean, that's honestly growing up. That's what it felt like. There were like two really big like theater families in Pensacola. There were these people called the Mixins. They were like this group of uh, five sisters Ooh. and they were all very theatrical. They all did theater. They all sang, they all danced. And then growing up, they were a little bit older than us. So growing up, I felt like the Freedmen's were like the next like mixins of Pensacola. And also Pensacola is very strange in that a lot of people that that were from Pensacola that went on to pursue a life in show business have gone on to be pretty famous in the theater world. Ashley Brown is from Pensacola. She was Mary Poppins on Broadway. Katie Mixon was in a bunch of movies. She was in Four Christmases. She was in Mike and Molly, the TV series. Um, There was someone who went on to like Amsterdam's like American Idol and won. Like tons of like weird like fame and Broadway and TV. So I always growing up, I was like, oh, like we're the next, we're the next family that's this like gonna us. make it big, you know. I love that. It's a family idea. It's a whole team or nothing. It's all of us. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, even if it wasn't all of us to be famous, it was definitely like for our hometown, I definitely felt like we were like the like theatrical like family dynasty. Yeah. That, that was in my hometown. I, the first Broadway, like on Broadway show that I saw was Mary Poppins with Ashley Brown. And I was like, work. oh my goodness. Yeah. Oh, love her. Yeah, she's great. Because I grew up in a suburb of Portland, Oregon. And like, I, I did theater my whole, whole life, just kind of through school. There wasn't like um, a community theater that came across my path. But I went to college in Illinois and I met a bunch of people from St. Louis. And like, that was just like a whole different thing where it kind of sounds similar to Pensacola where there was like no these full families like they all do theater like everyone is very into theater in this town and we all have yeah. like artistic uh, places to go um and it seems nice it seems fun yeah I mean I don't even I, I there's something in the water I guess but theater and and music are very big at least they were when I was there in Pensacola my parents have since moved to Montgomery Alabama about five or six years ago it was 20 13 wait 23 no graduated in 20 so it was 2016 yeah five years ago this february they'll be there um in alabama so i haven't been back much since they moved um so i'm not aware of the current theatrical scene but hopefully it's still kicking yeah that was a new segment we called a drag queen does math i watched the entire thing cannot confirm or deny (laughs) how well those numbers worked out <laughs> I'm actually pretty good at math. I like math a lot. People love seem to love math. Apparently it's the same in every language. Yeah, and I used to hate it, but then I had this teacher in high school that was an ex-nun, and there's something about her and her love of math and her love of teaching that like really 
made math like completely make sense to me all of a sudden. And it, you know, it became something that I was actually really, I found out I was really good at. And I was really, uh, I enjoyed a lot because you can always get an answer. Like there's always, you know, no matter what, there's always an answer that's like the right answer. So that yeah. was very comforting to me for some reason. <laughs> And I was a server. I was a server in restaurants for like 10 years. So I was always having to kind of do like quick math in my head. So um, that also helped a lot with like figuring out numbers. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, yeah. I, um, yeah, math and I are not friends, but I also kind of, as an adult, have been looking back on things that I'm like, I'm just not quote unquote good at. And I'm like, am I actually bad at that? Or have I just been telling myself that I'm bad at it for a long time to get out of like, learning it yeah and i i was very much of that i was like i don't like the narrative that like because i'm a theater person i can't be good at math or i can't like science you know it's like i can like other things and be good at other things right you know i've always been you know i don't like i i hate to toot my own horn i actually really do but i um i do hate it i don't like to talk (laughs) much about (laughs) things i'm good at but i um i am really smart so i like um I really like to be proud of that. Yeah, as you should yeah. be. But I understand it's it's a hard culture to say out loud the things that we're good at because it just like unless you're writing a, a cover letter, like where do you just yeah. like make statements that are like I am good at this? And you're like, yeah, okay, cool. So you were you got the bug as a kid. Do you remember a moment where you were like, I'm gonna this is going to be a career? Like, did it shift from, this is fun and, like, I get to do stuff that I enjoy? Yeah, there was definitely a moment. Um, growing up, I, I mean, like I said, I always did theater, but I, uh, my mom was very adamant to all of us that, like, we, I think also because we grew up pretty, we were, like, okay middle class, but then during the recession, like, we were really struggling for money. Um, we almost, I think, lost our home multiple times. Um, and it was really, my parents were both out of work for a long time. So it was really kind of, um, a tough situation. So my mom, I remember would really drill into us. Like we need to make sure we find jobs that are lucrative, um, once we get older. And, and so we needed to start planning ahead in literally elementary school, like of what we would maybe want to do. And so even though I love theater, that was also in my head. So I, uh, growing up, I loved animals and I wanted to be a vet um, for many years. And then around late middle school, when I had to start figuring out where I wanted to go to high school, there was an uh, IB program um, that I could join. And I, started thinking about what I really wanted to do. And I kind of moved on from animals because I didn't like the idea of putting animals down. Um, Cause I like shouted for a vet and like, you know, done a day or two with them to like, see how they worked and just realized it wasn't really my calling. So I started thinking about uh, being a human doctor. And so for a couple years from like seventh or eighth grade until uh, the end of my sophomore year of high school, I was very adamant about, I want to be a doctor. I want to be a pediatrician. Then that evolved into a pediatric surgeon. And then I wanted to be a pediatric cardiovascular surgeon. Okay. Grey's Anatomy happened. Right. And then my (laughs) next, my next stop after that was actor. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. The natural. Yeah. yeah, Progression. Um, And part of that was just because one, I realized my hands were too shaky to be a pediatric cardiovascular surgeon. Um, And so that was a big, big realization that I don't think I could ever do it. And then uh, the second thing was my brother, who was two years older than me, um, was in the IB program as well with me, did very well, was straight A student, got like a full ride to Vanderbilt. And um, so this was toward the end of his senior year and the end of my sophomore year, I just kind of like realized I was just like I don't think I want to keep going to this school because I feel it's pretty obvious now that like I don't think I'm going to be a doctor and I do think I want to pursue performing arts so why am I putting myself through this rigorous like schooling Mm -hmm. for high school when I'm not even going to pursue anything 
that I would need this degree, uh, this this high school diploma for. So after my sophomore year, I transferred to just a regular public school and um, theater really took over from there. Those are just so many like full on adult thought processes you were having at like 15 about your life. I mean, when I I said earlier that I'm really smart, I think it's also just I'm very, I've always been very kind of mature and intuitive of of like my emotions, other people's emotions, um, and been very kind of decisive Mm -hmm. about what I want and what I'm feeling. And so that was definitely like, it played a heavy part in, in those decisions because I could kind of like, view the full picture at the time and say like I don't want to spend two more years at this school if like I already know this isn't what I'm gonna do yeah um yeah so it it was definitely a big decision my parents were very uh confused at first because again since I was like an elementary school child I'd always wanted to be in medicine um but yeah, uh, things change. Things change. People grow. Yeah. I, yeah, it. I oof, like. I had no, not even close to the amount of maturity to be having those conversations with myself <laughs> at fifteen. I was like, because <laughs> we had an, another high school in the district that would not have been far from my house. It wouldn't have changed much. Like looking back, I just would have gone to mm-hmm. a different high school. And it was like they have IB, but the school you're going to has AP. And like, which one do you want to mm-hmm. go to? And I was very much like. Well, I just don't want to change schools. Like, <laughs> right. And, 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 and like, and it ended up, I feel like I'm always the trendsetter for my family because after my brother graduated, he was there for four years. I was there for two. My brother was there for one and my sister was there for a semester. So it was like after I transferred, like the rest of my siblings transferred. And then when I ended up moving to New York, the rest of them all moved up here uh-huh. eventually. So, um, I've always kind of felt like whatever I do, everyone will follow. But um, yeah, I I ended up having to go to a completely different high school and I did take AP classes and I ended up taking college credits as well and dual enrolling um, my junior and senior year. Um, So I I ended up going to college with still a lot of college credits so I could just focus on theater once I got to college. Um, So I haven't taken a math class since my senior year of high school. They're still good enough to figure out math right here live on this podcast so look at you hey 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 i like to keep the old brain ticking keep it keep it going is it nice having family in the city (laughs) yeah 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 (laughs) it's nice to know they're there um Mm -hmm. sometimes i feel like i moved to new york to have my own separate life yeah um that i really kind of do appreciate having and so when it ended up that they all moved here it kind of did feel like a, a part of that was taken away. Um, which, you know, and if they're listening to this, you know, whatever, hi. But um, I, uh, you know, it is kind of difficult sometimes. Like if I, you know, go to do a show and they're there, it's like on one hand, I appreciate that they're supportive. On the other hand, sometimes I always feel like I can't truly be myself when they're there. Yeah. Um, you know, it's like, a chosen family and your real family. And sometimes it's nice to have a separation. Um, but again, it is nice also to know, like in an emergency, if I needed anything, three of my siblings, you know, not three of my, all three of my <laughs> siblings are here. Yeah. So, you know, it's not, I don't have to go far to uh, find family, which is nice. That is nice. No, I, th- I think I talk about that a lot when, so my family is all s- still in Oregon and like I came out in college like a good Christian boy and in that aspect like my college was still just like very I say like I came out in college but I didn't really discover who I was as a queer person until I moved to New York because it was just like a small school in Illinois so yes I was surrounded by gay people but it, there were, it was 12 people to- total like it wasn't like a cross-section of like things you can be and we're also still in southern illinois so it's very mask presenting and then like you get to come to a bigger city and explore and like find who you are as a queer person and sometimes i think people like us have a hard time integrating that back into blood family relations yeah and it was kind of the same way with college my brother like i said went to Vanderbilt but then I went to UCF in Orlando 
Um, and then my younger brother ended up going to a community college in Orlando with the intent to transfer to UCF and then never ended up transferring. And then my sister ended up coming to UCF too. So it was kind of the same thing of like, I went to the school to kind of find my own self and mm -hmm. then my siblings followed and that was uh, disappointing. And it was, uh, you know, as it's, it kind of sounds rude to say that out loud, but it was, you know, it, it's true. And then like the same thing with New York, it's like, I came here to be my own person. And then all of my siblings followed me here and that you know is a little disappointing sometimes just because i feel like i've always been very independent mm -hmm. and um you know i like to have my own life and that is fair that's fair <laughs> but i feel like new york is big enough to where i can still have my own life it's not quite a college campus that is true or i can have my own life and still you know see them if i want to instead of feeling like i have to that is so gorgeous that's beautiful yeah, well, the things we tell ourselves to get through hard <laughs> times. You're just like reading greeting cards. You're like, yeah, yeah, that's, that's good. So when did drag become something that you were interested in? Um, I was always aware of, well, not always. I was aware of drag, I think, in high school. Um, and then when I turned 18... Literally that night, I went to a gay club that has since closed in my hometown, which is very sad. Part of my goal, my my long-term goal is to reopen that club in my hometown. But anyway, um, so I went to a drag show. I knew what drag was. I've heard of RuPaul. I'd heard of Lady Bunny. You know, I'd heard of a couple of the greats. But obviously never, like, it, or not obviously, it was never anything on my mind of, like, something I could do, especially seeing what it was in my hometown. It was the South. It was very pageanty. They'd go out, they'd stand in one spot, they'd lip sync, they'd grab tips, and then they'd, you know, get off stage. It was definitely not anything like what drag has morphed into now and definitely was not uh, New York drag, um, even if they were incredible, and they were, and I still think about them. But um, uh and I had never really seen Drag Race. I think I watched some of season two and three my freshman year of college because it was very briefly on Netflix. Yes. Mm -hmm. um, but then kind of just shoved it. I never really went out that much in college, which now looking back on it, I'm very upset about. Um, but after I graduated the next, I graduated a semester early in December. So then by the next summer so summer 2016 I was dating someone who loved drag loved drag race went out a ton um and he really was the uh the person who opened the door into drag for me and I still very much credit him with with kind of helping me discover that um so we started watching uh drag race uh, at, you know, together. And then we would start going out together um, to different clubs in Orlando. And at the time, now it's closed, but there was Parliament House, um, uh, Pulse, wait, now I think I have my, I'm sorry, this was a year after. I moved to New York in summer 2016. So this was summer 2017. Um, but Pulse had just, you know, obviously closed in 2016 because of the shooting. Um, but I had been to Pulse in college. Anyway, so there were a couple clubs we would go to a lot in Orlando. Um, one of the, fir uh, the first drag race queens I ever saw was Laganja Stranja, who has since become a friend of mine. And uh, my favorite, I would say my favorite drag queen of all time. Um, and... Uh, you know, just slowly start dipping my toe into seeing drag. And my boyfriend, Robbie, at the time, um, was very adamant that he thought I would do well as a drag queen. And very early on, I was like, I can't, I love drag, but like, it's not, theater is what I'm doing, you know, it can cross over into drag with different shows, but like, I don't want to become a drag queen because I don't think it's for me. 
Um, and, uh, you know, there was also some lingering like feelings of if I dress up like a woman, because I was very bullied as a child for being very flamboyant. And so there was lingering feelings of like, if I really lean into, into my femininity, it's going to be a harder life for me. People are going to make fun of me still, or they're going to, you know, whatever, X, Y, Z. And also, I mean, drag has also become a lot more accepted now, but even still at the time in 2017, it was still kind of just beginning to be a national, international phenomenon that people liked. There were no straight men I- doing it for sure. There were no what? No straight men doing drag for sure. Not at that time. Yeah. No. So, um, you know, so there was still a stigma around people who did drag. Yeah. Um, So I was kind of really against it. Um, But then I left Orlando. Uh, I was an actor, so I would like bounce around every, you know, few places and for a few months at a time to do different shows and so right before one of my contracts in 2017 I was with my parents in Alabama and I had nothing to do I knew no one because I didn't grow up there and they didn't live there um, previously so I had nothing to do besides just like be with my parents work at a restaurant and watch TV. So I started watching a ton of Drag Race. And I started with um, season eight. And I saw uh, Thor G. Thor and Bob the Drag Queen. And it, like, opened my eyes into... It was, like, the first time I, I thought to myself, like, I could do drag. Um, oh, are you there? Yep. I think you're frozen. Okay. You're frozen on my end for some reason. Oh, I am just listening intently. Okay, great. Okay. Now you're moving. Okay. Um, but I think it, I think it was also frozen anyway. So (laughs) I, um, I, it was really the first time I was like, oh, that's something I could do. I can be silly. I can be funny. I don't have to look pageanty. Um, and so literally like, a few nights into watching season eight, I just like looked at a picture of Thor G. Thor. I took whatever stage makeup I had in my uh, parents' house. I put on some makeup and I took a photo and I had already come across the name Kiki Balchange um, just years prior thinking if I ever did drag, what would my name be? And so I already knew I wanted to be Kiki. And so I took the picture, I made an Instagram account and that was the birth of Kiki. Bam, an entrepreneur from the start. Yeah. First time you put makeup on, you said separate Instagram, ready to roll. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. I don't know why, but I just, I knew, you know, I was also very aware that I was like, drag queens have similar names. So I wanted to make sure that I was the very first Kiki Ball Change so no one else could take the name and, you know, whatever. So that was part of, too, why I made the account, just because... You know, I wanted my my stake on it. I wanted to claim it. New branding was important from the beginning, from the very jump. No, I remember when when Drag Race was briefly on Netflix was when I also watched Drag Race for the first time in college. And it was interesting because now, like, when I watch Drag Race, of course, it's fun to be around queer people. It's nice to have an event once a week that, like, we can talk about at the water cooler kind of vibes. Um But it was very, like, within the tiny community that I was in, we were still, like, the weirdos who watched Drag Race when it was on Monday nights. And, like, now looking at it, it's just so different. Um, But those tender early days were so very formative to me, and I don't even do drag. So (laughs) I feel that. I love that. So, Kiki, you're creative. You're smart. Mm-hmm. You do math. You've kind of started on this role already, but I have to ask you, why are you like this? Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. 
$45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. I knew this was coming. Um, <laughs> I had a feeling. I've been trying to think about how best to start answering this question um, since you asked me to be on the podcast. A quote that has always stayed with me. I originally heard it from Joan Rivers, but I think Robin Williams has also said something similar and I'm going to paraphrase, but the quote was that the, the people that have been through the most hardships in their life are oftentimes some of the some of the are, are oftentimes the people that are most inclined to want to bring light and laughter to others because they don't want others to feel the same way that they feel mm-hmm. or have felt. Um, and I don't. I'm not going to get into the details, but I have been through a lot of hurt um, in my life. And a lot of that was at an early age. And so I think I, for one, have always strived to follow that quote. Um, Even before I had heard it, I think I just never wanted other people to be upset. Um, So that I think is the reason why I am so empathetic and so um, kind to others. I think that had a big formative, uh, uh, that was very a formative time for me of, of how I wanted to treat other people because of how I felt. I was treated. Um, the intelligence comes, I think, maybe hopefully just from genetics. Um, my family all is very intelligent. My mom and dad would, you know, always tell us how, how smart we were. And we were all in gifted programs in school. And um, so that was always kind of part of my life. I just knew... I was smart and then and then at some point along the way I kind of realized like I think I was not necessarily smarter than other people but there were definitely I saw the world differently than other people um like I could, and I think a lot of it was my empathy I could just kind of tell how other other people in the room were feeling or how I f- I could see they wanted to feel and I was very um I was able to tap into that to bring them 
the feelings that they wanted, I guess, in a way, or I, I would know how to listen to someone or talk to someone, um, you know, whether it's a customer service person that, you know, I can tell is stressed or that the person in front of me in line was yelling at them or, you know, any of whatever the example is, I think empathy has always been a huge part of who I am. Um, and I'm sorry, I didn't mean for this to get so I know the question was lighthearted, but you can answer it, however I, you, you know, want. It, 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 it's no one really ever asked me. So I, I, I like, I want to take the time to really explain it. Um, I live my life with others coming first. And that's definitely not to my... Um, What's the word? That's not to my, uh, uh, my, I can't think of the word. Like benefit. Benefit, yes. Um, a lot of the time it is to my detriment. Um, but just because of, of the hand that I was dealt in life, it's just formed me into a person that puts others ahead of myself. Um, so that's definitely a, a huge part of why I'm like this. And as far as creativity, I think I've just always loved, not always loved necessarily, but I just always had a brain that like can kind of see through the cracks of things and see what's like beyond that I can, I can explore or that I can do. And a lot of that was because oftentimes I felt like I was the only person in the world I could trust. And so I retreated a lot inside my own head when I would have, you know, bad days or something would happen. And, um, you know, I felt like all I had was my own brain and my own self. And so I spent a lot of time in my brain um, thinking of different things or, you know, watching different TV shows or movies and I get inspirations from that. And this is all before I was doing drag. Um, it was just different things I would notice about life and about people and about um, the human experience. And so I think what I've learned personally, how I live my life is that I think people, I think life is extremely difficult. Um, you know, regardless of a pandemic or politics, human life is extremely difficult. Any life, uh, animal life, plant life, like the world is hostile. And so I think, I think the, the thing that I try to lead my life with always is that I want people to have a good time while they're on this earth. And I try to do everything I can to make sure that other people are having a good time, even if I'm not. And that gives me purpose and that gives me um, a point of view and a frame of reference and something to keep me going. Mm -hmm. Because I think, you know, obviously, especially right now, we all kind of see how hard life is. But I think I think, again, it's just I see the world differently than other people and that I, I see what they need. And I think, you know, after 9-11, the biggest show on Broadway was the producers. Mm -hmm. And there's a reason for that. It's because people want to laugh when everything else is really hard. And so especially in drag, I really try to bring that energy to people's lives who might not otherwise have it. And, you know, and I think I, I am like that because of everything I've gone through as an individual, especially when I was younger. Um, so I would say that's why I'm like this. That was really beautiful. Thank you. Thank you for sharing. <laughs> of course. I think that you are wildly successful at channeling that into the lucky few times I've gotten to see you perform. I got to see you in Castrata at 
pieces one night and I uh-huh. was having such a bad day. You know how New York like will just kick your ass just trying to go to the grocery store? Just yeah. like in general. I find yeah. that that happens more often than not after, you know, living inside. And uh, I was just having one of those days where I was like, I'm literally just trying to go to Dwayne Reed and pick up my prep. And this is taking me six hours. And I walked into your show and I was like, I think what isn't it called? Like two stupid queens. Two stupid queens. Yeah. I was Uh like, these queens are so. And I'm to two stupid dogs. I was like, they are so dumb. I am laughing so hard. (laughs) They are so talented. It takes so many, so many smarts to be dumb. And I was like, I'm hooked. I'm in. I like. You could just feel it. You can feel it radiate from you that you care about the experience that you are presenting to people and how you are controlling the room and how people will leave the space thinking about it. And I think that is a great trait for any performer to have. Um, And especially for a drag queen who is running a show where people are coming from various places and various backgrounds to watch you be foolish if you want to be. And I think it's a blast. So I'm a fan. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you for that being a lot. creative and for being you. Of course. So what's the most fun part about being a New York drag queen? Hmm. I would say, you know, people rag, people rag a lot on like how many like New York queens were on Drag Race or how, you know, New York queens like to say they're like the, the center of drag or whatever. And obviously with Drag Race, drag has expanded a lot more to different communities that might not necessarily have had drag, um, been exposed to them or scenes are building even more because of the mainstream success of drag race. So there are definitely other cities and other places in the country, in the world where drag is, you know, people are leading the charge of what drag can be and what it's turning into. But I think one of the best things that will always be about New York is, is there is just no place like New York. Um, people don't really, from the outside, they don't really understand that everyone here is hustling. Even if you look like you're doing a, you know, a good job of keeping up, like you're still, you have to hustle to be here. Otherwise you get swallowed up and, and you have to, you know, either leave or you just fade into, you know, the hustle and bustle of the city that, you know, becomes your life. But I think what keeps New York drag so strong and so different is that we're all trying to stand out and we're all trying to be successful because we know the second that we aren't being noticed or standing out that we'll get swallowed up and forgotten about. And it's, you know, it's hard. It's a, like I said, the world is very hostile. The world is harsh in New York. It's like amplified 5 million percent because, you know, if you're, if you aren't doing what you're doing and you fade or you leave or you quit, there's someone right behind you that's going to come and and take your spot. Yeah, just numbers-wise. And, and, you know, and I know this question is, why do I like being in New York? <laughs> and that sounds very negative, and it, and it is. I mean, truly, I do not like living in New York. I live here because I feel like I have to. But I, um, I think part of what I like about it is that I am able to lead my own path in a lot of ways. Um, I think New York is also very political. There's a huge history of uh, politics and drag in New York City. And I like feeling like I'm part of that history. Um, And I feel, you know, it's it's the center place of Broadway, it's the center of art and theatrics. And so there's just so much to do. There's so much to see to inspire you or to challenge you that anywhere else I lived, I think I would fall into a feeling of safety and comfort and never grow or never change. Where in New York, I feel like I'm always being forced to change and to grow. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah. So I'd say, and I, I, like I said, I'm, I've been a theater person since I was six or seven. So, it, you know, being in such a theatrical place is also very um, special and important to me as well. Yeah. I say that about New York a lot. I'm like, no matter what you're looking at, no matter your barista to whoever runs a hedge fund, whatever a hedge fund is to, you know, anything, that person is at the top of their game. That person applies for a job anywhere, the same job anywhere else, and it says New York City on it. They are leaps and bounds ahead of people who haven't just based on the city and the way that it operates. And so that, I think, if you think about it, is is electrifying because you want to rise and you want to meet it. And like you can't do it every day. That's impossible. But when you're surrounded by other people who are hustling that hard and you're like ready to do that yourself, it is inspiring. It is exhilarating to feel the energy of every single person being the best, the best at whatever that is for them. And um, no, I think that is I think that is a positive thing. I think <laughs> I think that's a very very good. Well, thing. I mean, that's the thing is is, and I think I I kind of said it earlier too is when I was talking about um, you know, what we say to get ourselves through you know hard stuff is like New York is so difficult. It you know I, I want I wouldn't tell anyone to come live here unless they really wanted to. Because but at the same time, it's like you have to you have to if you want to be here, you, you have to find a way to be happy. And, and part of that is changing the narrative of like, yeah, it is hard, but that's what I like about it. That's why I'm here is because otherwise I would be comfortable, which is also nice or life would be easier. It would be less expensive, but I'm here because of this reason. And, and that reason has to be something that, you know, gives you purpose and drive and and something you can like um otherwise why are you here if you're miserable why yeah. <laughs> why would you put yourself through it you know yeah so and i've definitely lost drive i've i've lived in the city for 7 years now and have definitely had moments where i've lost drive and lost myself and gotten to take a step back and come back and like It'll keep pulling me back for that for that reason. I just have this uh, really intense need to be the best at all times. So New York, yeah. you got I mean, me. <laughs> I mean, before I I did drag, like I said, I graduated college in December of 2015, and then I moved here in June of 2016 with the full intention of being here, you know, years. Mm-hmm. Um, but I left after three months because I hated it. And I wasn't ready. And as soon as I left, I was relieved for a week. And then a week later, I missed it. Yeah, you get a taste. So then I knew I was, you know, I was like, this is what I've always wanted. This is what I still want. So how can I make it work for me? So I made a plan. I had a, a list of things I needed to accomplish before I came back. And I did all of those things. I came back and I've been here ever since. So, you know, again, it's like, I would only suggest people who really want to live here to live here. Otherwise it's just not worth it. It really is not. You have to really want to be here. It's very, it's a tricky, tricky land. It's a tricky space. No, I agree with that. It wasn't until I left, I left for about six full, no, I left for a full year and, um, was, fully back into life in Oregon and was like, okay, so now I've seen this and I've seen New York and like, what do I want? And it brought me back. So here we are, but um, yeah. And it's the power of, you know, manifestation or whatever you want to call it, putting goals into action or any, you know, anything. It's like, I feel truly the power of our words and the power of, of our feelings and emotions are, you know, I don't. I want to say no one says this because I think tons of people say it. But our our words have power, and and our dreams, and our wants and our goals. Like if we want to make it happen, we will find a way to make it happen. And you know, sometimes it's not the right thing, but we don't until we learn that lesson. You know, it, it won't. We won't know exactly. So why not try? Well, Kiki, I ask this of all of my guests. 
Do you have any questions for me? Hmm. Why me? Why you? I asked myself the same question this entire interview. No, I um, <laughs> I think I think what you're doing as a performer is unique in the way that it has such intense point of view without being overbearing. It is welcoming and warm. It has this air of professionalism while being completely stupid that I think is magical and like only you. And I just really respect a performer who can find a way in any art form to make me feel like it's the first time I'm watching somebody do this. And I think you do that. And so I wanted to chit chat with you to see what makes that happen. Well, thank you. You're welcome. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah. I mean, I think the other thing about New York city drag that I have come to love and appreciate is that so many of us came from theater Mm -hmm. and have kind of that theatrical professionalism or drive or just set of rules that like, this is how you act in this kind of setting, which I feel like, you know, one of the downsides of how mainstream drag is getting is I feel like there is kind of a loss of the core tenets of like professionalism or uh, uh, work ethic because so many people now are like, I'm just going to dress up. I'm going to look beautiful and I'm going to get famous. You know, Mm -hmm. I'm going to, I'm doing drag because I want to be on drag race and be famous. And that, you know, I go back and forth with, I've auditioned for drag race three times, but I go back and forth with, do I want to sometimes because I don't necessarily do drag to be famous. I, I would obviously love, um, the financial stability that that sometimes being on Drag Race can bring you because not all the queens that have been on Drag Race are financially successful. Right. Um, so it's not guaranteed, but, you know, the platform that it gives you gives you the opportunity to find that stability and that success. But that's not why I do drag. I do drag because I never felt like I fit in in theater. And I felt there were like there were no roles that were for me. And part of what I love about drag and love about Kiki is that in a way it is definitely a character that I play when I'm in drag, but at the same time, it is a a huge expression of who I am. Um and what I feel like I can bring to the table as a performer, and I get to do it on my own terms. And I get to sing and I get to dance and I get to host and meet people. And, you know, I have more followers on Instagram than I probably ever would have had as an actor. I have more, I've been performing, you know, three, four times a week, which I never would have been able to do as an actor. And, and, you know, consistently, and I'm able to afford rent in New York city without having to be a bartender or a barista or a server. And, which I did for 10 years when I was an actor. I was a server in a restaurant and a barista for 10 years. And that's how I made rent, not through performing. So I think it it gives me the chance to truly do what I have always wanted to do, what I've always done, which is performing on my own terms. And I get to do it as myself. Yeah. And And as much as I love theater and would love to still do a show here and there, you know, I, I don't get that same level of uh, personal fulfillment from doing it that I do from drag. But on the other side of the coin, theater has brought myself so much work ethic and professionalism in my drag that I never would have had without theater. And, you know, so when you say, you know, I bring the level of professionalism and I, and I while still acting completely stupid, like I don't know what I'm doing, You know, I think theater helped bring me that sense of 
professionalism and work ethic that I never would have had without it, that I feel truly is deeply missing from so many people in New York and outside of New York. Um, anyway, yeah. I think I ranted about something. I had a point no, somewhere, no, 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 but no. I think I lost it. No, it's so true. It's like like when this, when it came up where somebody had tweeted that like Denali and Rosé were like weaponizing their BFA and all that bullshit, right? Mm-hmm. Like, and I have I have something to say about that too. But go ahead. But like, I don't think people understand until they are in it how tracked and heteronormative the commercial theater world is because of the way most people interact with theater as kids is that it is the space where like the weirdos come together and you have something that unites you all and you get to do a show and then it's like a space for oddballs and strange people to meet in the middle and find camaraderie that stops at a very distinct point or at least it it has in my professional life and it becomes this thing where you you said it yourself you're like i wouldn't be able to be performing four times a week because as a musical theater performer in new york who is trying to make it work like you don't have the what are you going to do you're just going to go musical theater host a night you can if that's your thing but it it's not like shown to you i talk about this all the time i was listening to a podcast with alaska on it and she said something to the effect of drag queens and comedians are the two artistic performance careers where you can do anything you can be a comedian who sings you can be a drag queen who does fashion you could be a drag queen who makes people laugh you can be both you can do it all the the space is open for that but in the musical theater world it actually closes off rather quickly and for a lot of queer people who found that space through being an oddball i feel like you run into a wall and you're like wait why am i shut out why am i not in this space how do i function and so it makes sense to me that there would be people who come from a theatrical background who find drag in those moments and allow that to fulfill their creativity and allow them to continue to do the things that they are best at, at the level that they want to. Yeah. The one thing I I was going to say about weaponizing your BFA, I do also have a BFA. So that comment was very hurtful, but I have met people that I can just sense are just doing drag because they wanted another way to find the fame and popularity that they might've wanted from theater and couldn't find, you know, and again, it's not necessarily to knock them because in a way we all kind of are doing that, but I, some people it's blatantly obvious that that's why they're doing it. And so I do have some feelings about people who do it for those reasons, but Regardless, drag is still an incredibly hard field to work in. And I feel like even if you are, quote unquote, weaponizing your BFA, you know, you got a BFA to perform, not necessarily to, you know, I mean, people get degrees in different things all the time and then find different passions and different, you know, interests and then go to a completely different career that is much more fulfilling and drag is not exempt from that. But my other thing that I want to say with that is, uh uh oh crap i'm missing it i'm forgetting it it's going it's going uh oh i feel like theater in new york especially and with commercial theater and broadway because it is a commercial business there used to be a lot of new projects on broadway and new works and new actors and i think feel like Broadway and commercial theater in general has gotten into a rut of safe. You know, that's why they're doing all these jukebox musicals. That's why they're doing all these movie musicals um, because they think those things that people are most comfortable with, that they know the best, that they already are familiar with are the things that are going to be the most lucrative and the most successful. But if you look back just 30, 40 years, Broadway was so much more creative and offered opportunities for new works and new artists and new composers um, that in a way I feel like doesn't really exist anymore almost anywhere in in the United States for theater. Um, 
you know, especially commercial theater. And I feel like drag is is kind of becoming or has become uh, one of the outlets that the, the weirdos that moved to New York to do theater have found as a way to fulfill that 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 hole in in what is missing mm-hmm. um you know because when broadway was closed drag shows were going on and you know in in a way that i feel like is the true the show must go on kind of attitude because it's 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 where theater i feel like or art artistry and creativity drag is one of the most pure and raw expressions of creativity that we have. And again, unfortunately, one of the downsides to drag becoming mainstream and commercial is that with anything becoming mainstream and commercial, it's going to be watered down to appeal to the masses. And so I'm hoping, I'm praying, but I'm already seeing trends that drag is following commercial theater. And it's it's becoming like a blueprint stamp of what your makeup can be, a blueprint stamp of your hair and your outfits and you know, your dance moves and all of that. And so part of what I strive to do with Kiki and with theater, you know, I call out, I call out all of it. You know, I come from theater and I love theater, but I also call out how absurd it has become with making money and and movie musicals and jukebox musicals and and how apparent it is that they're just worried about the bottom line and not the artistry. It's the same way that drag is becoming. And so with Kiki, it's like, I do wear outfits that not, you know, I wear a lot of like 60s and 70s inspired things. I don't wear a lot of like body suits with, you know, human hair and thigh high boots and, you know, that's and and a certain makeup style because that's not who I am. And although I might get more commercial success from spending thousands of dollars you know, on the highest end garments and the best hair and the best makeup products and, and, you know, act a certain way or look a certain way to get the attention of certain people. That's not what I want to be doing. And that's not who I want to be. And that's part of also why I'm scared to be on Drag Race is because then you have to kind of fit into a certain mold Right. Can you hear that horn? I'm sorry. It's okay. I'm, We're recording it. by the street. We're recording in New York. People you are can. aware. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, and and so I feel like with theater and with drag, if you can still find a way to be yourself or to to honor your creativity that is uniquely yours, that is, I feel, what is most important. And um I don't know. I feel like I keep going on these rants and I never have a point, but <laughs> it's just my observation of, of the trend. And, you know, the tic- you have to stay on social media. You have to have a certain amount of followers. You have to be on TikTok. You have to do this and that. And it's just exhausting. Yeah. I just, I did, I do drag because I love to perform. And whenever I'm having a hard day or I feel like I want to give up, I just have to remind myself of why I'm doing it. And, you know, sometimes when I feel the most lost or when I'm getting um, opinions from other people that I have to do this or have to do that, or my makeup has to look a certain way, or my outfit has to look a certain way, and I get exhausted or I get stressed out, I, I just remind myself, I'm doing this because I love to perform. And I love the things that I love. I love looking the way I look. I love, you know, the fashion. I love the songs that I perform. And I can take other people's criticisms or opinions into account, but at the end of the day, drag is my own thing. And that's why I did it. And I have to remember that. Uh, amen. And let's people say amen. <laughs> gay gay man. men. Somebody send us a gay man. Um, please. please. <laughs> Kiki, I could talk to you forever and ever. Thank you. I love to talk. Thank you so much for coming on and just sharing what makes you you, sharing all your thoughts. I loved every minute of it. Where can the children find you? You can find me on all social media, Venmo, Grinder, Grubhub, at Kiki Ball Change. That's K-I-K-I. Ball like the sphere and change like what we need in this world. Beautiful. 
Well, until next time, y'all. Bye. up what was that boring no flavor that was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week kiki palmer here and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free hello fresh jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. now that's music to my mouth hello fresh let's get this dinner party started discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.